0: You are obviously well known as being the founder of Sneak, and you've been there for many years. I'm actually really curious how your sort of how a week in the life of Guypod has changed over the last years, particularly, you know, with the CEO transition. I'm really curious, what's a week in, in your life like right now? And then what was that like at the early stages and how has that transitioned over time as you've learned as the company has grown?
1: Yeah, I mean, life has changed dramatically throughout the stages of this journey. So a little bit for context, Nick is about seven and a half years old. I was the sort of founding CEO, and about three years ago, maybe a bit more, brought on Peter McKay, who was our board member, and I've known for 15 years as our CEO. And I took on this sort of more nebulous sort of president title. Throughout the journey, I've always tried to work myself out of a job. And so at the beginning, you do all the jobs. You You sort of like, head of product, head of sales, the salesperson, the marketer, the SE, the, you know, whatever sort of janitor, you know, you do whatever it is that, that needs to be done. And I hired a great team and, and sort of set of leaders even somewhat early on, but I, I filled all these different capacities. And then as time went on, you know, as okay, I hired a salesperson, they were the salesperson. I was partially a salesperson, but I was their SE and then, you know, hired at some point a head of sales and so supported them. And maybe I was focusing more on marketing et cetera, et cetera, until I remained only the CEO <laughs> on it. And then at some point I had kind of the realization, you know, this is about four and a bit years in, uh, Sneak has kind of hit a curve because had a couple of years of really kind of fumbling a bit, getting developer adoption, but not managing to monetize doubts about sort of viability for the company. So that was kind of the first two-ish years. And then we hit an inflection point and things started really kind of going steep up. So this is a good couple of years after that, maybe even two and a half. Uh, where I realized there was some market dynamics and we had, you know, the second product was starting to grow and, and such. And I realized that uh, the company was growing massively quickly. You know, it went from, you know, in the annual increments from 23 people to 84 people to 250 people to 450 people and so on, over you know, 1,200 people now. And I spent all my time, all my energy, just trying to cope with that growth, trying to kind of maintain the culture, hire the right people, kind of grow this just, you know, all my attention. And so, although I think I was doing a decent job, I wasn't doing what I thought I was best at and most loved doing, which was around kind of the product vision and where we're headed and, you know, what should we do next? And so I had an opportunity. So, so that really got me into this mental state because a few things happened in the market at the time, you know, GitHub entered the market, you know, we, we were actually doing pretty well. So we started kind of taking away businesses from uh, other competitors and, and we needed some strategic thinking and I was the right person to do that, but I didn't have time. Uh, and so I sort of spent you know, all my time trying to scale it. And so that, to me, was a good learning and realization. And I had this opportunity to convince Peter to sort of uh, you know, come on board. And, and so it took me about three months. You know, it, it was definitely him kind of going down from managing about a billion dollars in revenue to managing about 10 million uh, in, uh, <laughs> in annual revenue. Uh, but uh, but he also saw the potential and and loves building. And, and so fortunately, it worked out and we have a lot of trust. So we were definitely fortunate on it. And then subsequently, so so he came on board and, you know, we can talk about the transition. That's always a challenge. But basically, since then, I try to spend my time kind of trying to see around the next corner, trying to understand where the market is headed. Sometimes it's orchestrating acquisitions. Sometimes it's, um, it's just sort of, you know, talking to customers that are forward thinkers and doing it. I host my own podcast in the security developer. I get to talk to smart sort of security leaders and sort of see what they're doing. A lot of, like, we have a great CTO. We have a great chief product officer who are also kind of visionaries and founders and they're sort of building those out. And so increasingly my kind of time horizon, if you will, is ahead and my time is spent Actually, even a lot, I do, I do a fair bit of angel investing and, and, uh, and such, and, and I find, to me, those are kind of my learning opportunities as well. I learn what's happening on the market, different ways people are doing things, new disruptive technologies, new approaches. And that's both interesting to me, but also helpful coming back into Sneak to basically feed the company an external perspective from the benefit of not needing to be as operational in the day to day. So I support a lot of things, strategic decisions, you know, all sorts of like executive, team activities, of course, M&A, key customers, key partners. A lot of my time spent on that, uh, but also my, my official job, if you will, or what I think I'm primarily doing is, is that sort of forward, forward forward-looking views.
0: That's really interesting. I remember reading somewhere that in the you were the CTO at Blaze, obviously, and you were very focused on the tech side of things there. You had the co founder who handled more of the CEO, go to market side of things. You came to Sneak and you'd written somewhere that you were on purpose looking for co founders in Danny and Asaf that Could bring more of the tech side of things, so that you could focus more on being the CEO and learning how to do that, and also being focused on go to market. How did that work out for you? What did you learn in the process of going from being the really technical focused CTO to being the really externally focused, completely different role, go to market, building out go to market, and being the CEO running the company role? What did you learn in that transition?
1: I learned a ton, you know. But I, I mean, first of all, just like a bit of a fun anecdote that at some point I was a product manager at. You know watchfire acquired by ibm and i was you know I, I spoke to this uh this guy i looked up to as a product leader and i told him you know hey is product a good path to become a cto like is being a product manager a good path to be a cto and he told me the best way to become a CTO is to found a company and call yourself a CTO. Uh, and so that's basically <laughs> what I did, uh, you know, with uh, with Blaze. Is I found the company and I called myself a CTO. And in practice, I was fairly outward looking. So you know, in Blaze, I did, you know, for about sort of six, seven months, I was kind of the nerd in his cave. You know, I was writing code, uh, building this up. I think even by the time you know Blaze got acquired by Akamai, I I'm still probably a majority of my co- of the code, you know, or like a good portion of the code, you know. Was was Mine, uh reviewed a lot of code, but then you know, the second half maybe of Blaze's life, I was very much like the outward facing CTO. I was mm. speaking, I was kind of doing a lot of public speaking, I was uh, engaging in the community, I was selling, but I was the tech side. By the time, so and then you know, Akamai acquired us, and then I became a CTO for real at Akamai, you know, and I was sort of you know, CTO of a 700 million dollar a year business, and you know, uh, learn how to sort of operate, and um. And then by the time I, I decided to the, found another company and run it, to me it's all about learning. And so I, I've sort of seen maybe the big picture, and I like the big picture. I like the holistic picture. And so I, I kind of, I guess, decided to found a company and call myself a CEO. And I wanted to touch <laughs> all these different things, although I'm clearly a tech leaning, product leaning CEO. Bringing Danny and Asaf as co-founders is a little bit sort of uh, different. You know, first of all, I, I think startups are hard journeys. Even if you sort of kind of know what you're doing a little bit more, even if you're doing it a second or third time, you know, it's all about the roller coasters, a lot of highs and a lot of lows and key decisions. And I think doing it alone is just very, very hard. It's it's lonely. It's, it's tough. And so I wanted co-founders. Um, secondly, I wanted to build a branch in Israel. I'm Israeli, but I live in London and I I had sort of a relevant network in Israel, but I I wasn't there uh, and I had a different network in in London. And so I wanted someone I can trust and I can, that is my partner in uh, in Israel. And through the grapevine, I heard of, you know, Danny's uh, availability or uh, inclination. I taught Danny in the army you know, we sort of uh, crossed paths, so I knew him a bit. No way. And so I uh, uh, I heard and I talked to him and he was about to embark on founding another thing with Asaf. And there were still early days kind of, you know, goofing around. I've already been a bit more established. I knew I already had funding uh, lined up. I already had a contractor kind of working on it. Early, early, like a month or two, you know, nothing long and a more maybe established idea. And so I managed to convince them to uh, to drop their thing and join me. And they've been amazing. And And indeed, when you have... I think in general, when you have someone you really trust build an aspect of the business, then it frees you up to to do something else. And and I find that you know, like having co-founders and having capable co-founders, you need to know what their competencies are. You know, Asaf is is a kind of super strategic thinker, but also kind of a commando unit, like you sort of, you know, when there's a problem, Asaf, of course, Asaf can solve it. Like, you know, I think he even said at some point that, you know, there isn't a problem that he's faced that he can't solve. It's like, and it's not arrogance. It's actually like a super humble guy. It's just that doing it. Danny is is probably one of the top security researchers kind of in the world, I would say, you know, and sort of top tier and they're both culture and body. And so they they helped build the branch and with great hires that we've made and all of that. So, yeah, I think you want to have partners and throughout the journey, I will also say that this view of like, is it someone that you trust that you can let go to is also super, super important as you build your team, as you build your exec team, you have to be at a level of trust that you can let go that you feel like, you know, that person is, you know, you trust them to be doing it doesn't mean you don't supervise doesn't mean you don't scrutinize. You know and of course in some cases you you have it wrong, but I think that's a that's a big deal I don't know if that answers your question, but I think for me it's about trying new things and I guess i'm a I'm also a I'm a firm believer that if you're if you're comfortable, you're not growing I guess Freud's sentence is there is no growth without pain you know I kind of like comfort a bit more maybe and so I like trying to put myself in uncomfortable sort of scenarios in which I have to learn I have to grow and uh, otherwise I get bored
0: that makes a lot of sense a lot of that really resonated with me I'll never forget. I always talked about this roller coaster thing with friends just from my last startup experience. And then we found out Stellate. And I remember the first week we shake hands, we're like, okay, we're going to co-found this company. We're going to go out and raise a pre-seed round. We talked to the first person who was a really important investor for us to bring on board because we knew that he would unlock other investors. And we had the call with him. He says on the call, he, he would love to invest. He would love to be a part of it. He'll do X amount and whatever. And we sort of uh, get the first terms. It was a big deal for us. So after the, that call, we were like, open the champagne bottle, right? We we're like, let's celebrate. And then. 5 minutes afterwards we had our first downtime we had, we already had kind of like the private beta product running our first users on it and literally 5 minutes later our infrastructure crashed everything was down and i just remember that feeling of that roller coaster just the second we co found the company it starts right it's like the roller coaster starts it's the highest highs and the lowest lows right after another and the other thing i've realized and i'd actually be curious if you feel the same way is that the roller coaster, kind of the amplitude changes as the company grows, right? At the beginning, everything feels really high and low. And then as you get further along and you become more and more people, to me, suddenly the amplitudes start feeling way bigger and way high, way, way, the highs way higher and the lows way lower. It's still the same roller coaster. It's just the amplitudes feel way stronger to me now uh, that the company's grown a little bit.
1: I mean, it's interesting. It's a good question. I use the sort of the wavelength analogy as well. I find, like, I don't know, maybe like up until a certain stage, it's true, because at the beginning, it's just yourself. And you're having fun. And to an extent, if it sort of crashes and burns, you're, of course you care, you deeply care and you're very emotional about it, but you are, there hasn't been anything created yet that needs to be saved or you know you need to avoid losing. There's nothing there. So it's really all about the risk. And I think at some point you start building something that is now like, okay, we need to make this work. Like it's, it seems like we've sort of hit something, but you're still in existential mode. Like it still feels like the wrong turn, the wrong move could kind of kill the company. And, and probably right. You know, like sort of like you're, you're in that fit. And I think so in that case is, I think the stakes feel high. There's more people that depend on you, you know for their jobs, et cetera, et cetera. I think actually as the company grows, I found that the roller coaster is still much more than you would get at any employment or any sort of other job. But uh, but I actually find that it sort of tampers down because the company's a bit you know off ex- the existential mode. And decisions are just they're longer. And so every single move that happens, you know, it has to be a bit more dramatic for it to really, really affect the company. A failed sale is not, you know, as dramatic to you. A failed like if this was the biggest deal in the company's history and Europe sort of failed it or not, it would. But those are more unusual. And so so I think it does kind of temporary down. But I use I, I do like that analogy because I think it reminds you that you can't have the highs without the lows. And so, as you pick your lifestyle and as you do those, they're two sides of the same coin or the same kind of you know wave. It's it's basically the traits of an addictive uh, uh, behavior. Over time, we forget the lows, we remember the highs, and you crave the highs, <laughs> and so you you kind of come back to it. And I think it's part of the reason that even successful founders go back and do it again and again. It's because it's just, it feels like what you're doing matters and uh,
0: and is impactful. I find that to be very true. I think the same thing applies to a lot of also kind of celebrities or famous people. I, I don't really follow many of them, but particularly with Instagram and social media, it's like they, they present, you, you kind of present automatically the good side of yourself, right? Like you present everything that's going really well, but they have high highs for sure, but they equally have very low lows, right? And then you have people, you have events that remind people that actually this life that seems very glamorous also has the same low lows or even lower lows than yours, um, yeah, yeah, and, For it's good. and it's
1: it's important when you when you found it with all the fact that like, you're never going to be able I think to sort of you know found a company and run it without getting emotional about it, but it's really important from time to time to remind yourself and everybody kind of in the team that it's never as good or as bad as it seems. You know, it, it's it's almost never as dramatic, whether as you know problem state or, or as a win. You, know, you don't really need to temper people down when it's a win, so, uh, but if you do that a few times when you do it as a win, you get more credibility uh, when you do it when it's a, when it's a, when it's a loss.